Just the home defeat to Mansfield this week. We'll start with their goals. Ben Benson thought it was a great goal by Crewe, then errors led to a collapse. Chris Thompson, two mistakes, two goals conceded. Luke Bevington didn't think Crewe did much wrong other than the mistakes that they scored from. Brad Budden also saw two mistakes costing us two goals, but pleads for patience for Morris. Andy Priest is another who also points out that the mistakes cost us the points, but at least the Spanish sponsors had a good day out. Lance Vickers thought the better team won, and this was another substandard display devoid of any attacking ideas. Russell Tag says, butter it up all you want, how much football was actually played. Red Alex thinks that different manager, same mistakes, tactically poor and questionable goalkeeping. Daz thinks that should have been a 1-0 home win if the goalkeeper could do the basics. Simon Hughes describes it as a dagger to the heart, but as soon as they equalised, you knew what was coming. Mason adding, death taxes the Alex bottling it. Mark Bertels has seen nobody loads better than crew and nobody loads worse. Today was a tough footballing lesson. Tom Mayle agreeing, they're one of the favourites for promotion, but they weren't much better than us. A shame we couldn't hold it out. Andy Griffiths wants us to find a way to get Aji and CBR up top together. Richard Judson wants to mention squad depth. They brought on four players, two of them scored. We bring one on whose error led to a goal. Alexandra6077 thought Mansfield conned the referee and got away with a lot of stuff. Alfie Hill would like to see the referee investigated after that game. Colin Higginson said the way Mansfield played was a disgrace to the clough name. Brian would be livid. Hello and welcome back to the award-nominated Railway Men podcast. Just the one game to talk about this week. And we've got a couple of the originals with us today. Firstly, Tim Robinson. Hiya, Tim. Hi, Stu. Hi, guys. Second, looking fitter and healthier than I've ever seen him. It's uh, off the booze, Alex Irani. Hello, Alex. Morning, Stuart. Morning, all. I see that you've got the nominations. You're getting the big hitters out to make sure we can get the votes. I like it. That's it. People listening in now, aren't they, Alex? So... Bearing that in mind, if making your debut on the podcast wasn't nerve-wracking enough, imagine doing it on the week when we do have the judges listening in. It's Dave Gallagher. Hi, Dave. Morning, Stu. Thanks for having me, guys. No problem. Um, so just quickly, Dave, fairly uh, normal stuff when people come on making their debut. How long have you been watching the Alex? Who's your favourite player? Um, so my first game, actually, at the Alex wasn't watching the Alex. It was England under-18s, Russia under-18s in '97. Danny Kadamatri and Seth Johnson playing for England. Um, and then my first crew game was Barnsley at home in 98. Um, one of the few we won at the start of that season, I think. Tim's a favourite player. Um, he's winning me over. I wasn't a fan to start with, but Baker Richardson, he's uh, cool as ice, isn't he? Finished all the time. I think he meant forever through your time through, through supporting the Alex, but that's an interesting choice after 10 games to pick Courtney Baker Richardson. Bit of a controversial one. I'm a big fan of Dave Brammer, Justin Cocker and Dave Brammer. I like a good, strong defensive midfielder. Thank you, Dave. Right, Alex, I'm going to start with you. As I've said, you are currently uh, marathon training, I believe, so off the booze. What's it like watching and remembering a game of football? And do you like the sport? Um, do I like the sport? Not particularly at the moment. Um, one thing I do remember why I do drink, it, it takes the edge off. 
So, you know, the Crawley game last week, when you get a goal in the 73rd minute and you're hanging on for dear life for the next 17, it seems a lot longer when you've not had a few pints of Guinness. Um, and the same yesterday, scoring in the 70th minute is like, this will be a long 20 minutes and I fear what will happen. And my worst fears came to fruition, unfortunately. So, yeah, once once it's all done next Sunday uh, and I return to uh, drinking, I will be returning to drinking is what I should be saying, just to, just to take that edge off. Tim, can I come to you then? Um, first half, we got to half-time, it was nil-nil. I felt it was quite an even game, possibly Mansfield shading, but not really much in it at that point. Yeah, it kind of felt to me like we were pretty content to let them have the ball, um, especially at the back. We weren't really going after them and pressing them really high up the pitch, and we seemed to be kind of happy to keep our shape. I, I was a bit disappointed with how we kept the ball, to be honest, in the first half, certainly for the first half an hour. Um they just they seemed to deal with pretty much everything we had to offer. Um, when we tried to play out, they pressed us and hurried us and we gave it away. And when we went long, we were trying to hit it up to Baker Richardson and he was it was three on one, he was really isolated. So it just it it, it wasn't really working and we, we needed to get our midfield more involved. And I think towards the end of the first half, there were signs that Ainley was starting to sort of get into the game and turn his man a couple of times and find a bit of space. Um so, yeah, half-time, I thought, you know, we're in this. Two solid teams. It's going to be a tight margin game. If we can keep getting alien, alien on the ball second half, we've got a chance. But, yeah, then he then he seemed to kind of disappear. Dave, whilst Tim's talking about Ainley, um, last week we sort of made the, po- the point on the pod whether he is possibly playing himself out of a starting spot at the minute. He was back in this week. I think it made sense with players missing for international duty. But it all looks a bit redundant now, as it seems he's going to be out for a little while. Yeah, I'm not sure what he's done as an injury. It looks like he po- he's possibly injured his shoulder. Um, to be honest, I think he could probably do with a, a little bit of a rest. Um, I'd probably put Brook in there and, and give him a go. He's been uh, Ailey's been pretty ineffective the last last few games, hasn't he? Um, obviously, he had that little purple patch, um, which we all want to see. We all want to see him doing well. I feel like he could probably do do with a little spot on the sidelines, and we'll give Brook a go in the middle and see if he can. He can be a bit more productive. Sorry, just on that point, like Brooke had half an hour in the Ainley role against Crawley when it was nil-nil, when it was really an opportunity. You've got nothing to lose going on at nil-nil, playing in a 10, make something happen, win us the game. And he was pretty ineffectual. So I do worry whether Brooke is someone that needs to play wide because that's where you're going to get the most out of him, which leaves you in a sort of bit of a pickle that actually the only real like-for-like replacement you've got for Callum Ainley is Ollie Finney. And I think we know with Ollie Finney that when, and I'll keep my opinions about him as a footballer to myself, but when he's been effective has been when we've been able to progress the ball up the pitch and get him into that final third. The way we're playing at the moment, we're not progressing the ball anywhere near good enough to have Finney to influence any sort of game. So if you do drop Ainley, which looks like you're going to have to if it's injury enforced, I think you're struggling for a like for like. Maybe Leshabala, however you say his name, apologies if he's listening, uh, could push further forward and play in the 10. But I, do, I don't I do think there's a like-for-like for, like for Ainley um, in that position, which could leave us a bit short. And I think that's you know evident in the state of the squad, that it's a bit lopsided and we've obviously got some, some players missing in positions we need. Would the obvious thing to do not be to bring Rio in at left-back and put a whackway as the 10 and then have um, either Leshebella or King playing alongside Thomas in, in midfield? I think he changed his shape. I don't think Uwakwe's a 10. I think he's a he's you could play him in midfield, but he's not going to be that one that sort of sits in between the midfield and the attackers trying to link it together. I think where he's better is 
when he's driving with the ball, when he's carrying the ball, when he's beating a man. I'm not necessarily sure he's that man that's going to pick a pass in the ten that's going to slip it through. But now there was the odd, there was I mean, a pass that Hartley pulled that obviously got Charlie and the, and the pass to Ajay when he hit yeah. the post. That was a yeah. beauty. I just I think it's 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 an option, and that's mainly because we've not got any options. But I think that I think we'd be better off changing to a four-three-three to have a Wakwe King and Thomas as your midfield rather than sticking with this four-two-three-one. Okay, quite a few different uh, points there that um, I've sort of covered in my notes. Um, we'll start with the post that you've just mentioned. There's two players involved with that, Uwakwe feeding it into Aji, and Aji hitting the post. Now, Tim, I'm going to come to you. Um, I think the other person to mention from that move was um, Rio won that 50-50. I think it's always good to see a player come back from a long injury like that and win a 50-50. The thing I didn't like about that was their player went down like he'd broken his leg, um, which, again, when you consider the context of the guy you're up against just come back from a nine-month injury layoff um, and you're rolling around pretending you've uh, you've done yourself a serious injury and then as soon as the ball goes off and you know you're not getting the foul, you jump back up on your feet again. I just think it's disgusting behaviour from them. Um, but yeah, back to, back to the chance. Like, cracking ball from uh, Tarek. Uh, right foot, I think, as well. Um, and yeah, Adji, uh, I thought he was a little bit unlucky. Uh, it would have been would have been good for him if that had gone in, I think. He was unlucky, wasn't he? Because he sold the keeper. He'd done the keeper with the eyes and he just slotted in at the near post. And the angle it's hit the post, you've seen it hit the post like that and go in. Yeah. The fact that it bounced out and hit the goalkeeper and then, you know, because it could have easily have come out potentially to him to then have another bite of the cherry. Um, so I thought he was desperately unlucky. He's playing in a wide area now. He started the season on fire through the middle. He's then moved wide to accommodate Baker Richardson, which I think we're all in agreement is the right thing to do to get them both in the same side. I think the onus is to get them both influencing the games in the areas of the pitch they're playing. Now, I think we can safely say that Baker Richardson's doing that. I think you could do with a bit more with Aji. You could almost do with Aji and, and, and um, Sambu merging into one. Sambu's ridiculousness in terms of chasing things down, running around, you know, genuinely stretching the opposition with his headless chicken running, uh, coupled with Aji's, he's a bit more, got a bit more guile about him. I think if you had the two of them into one, you'd have a hell of a player. Unfortunately, they're, they're two separate players, so it's not doing us too many favours. Alex, can I stick with you there then? Because this is another point that was raised last week with Mark and Steve talking about Sambu and how they don't really think he's a, he's a well, I don't know whether I'm putting words into their mouth, but a football league player. And Mark saying he'd had a chat with you and you saying that he's suggesting that you are a fan of Sambu. Is that true? Would you like to mount <laughs> a case for the defence for Bass Sambu? Let's split this into two. I'm a fan of him watching him play football. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Like some of the stuff he does on the pitch, like the, the, you, you talk about the sublime and the ridiculous. With him, there's no real sublime. It's like ridiculous to ridiculous. But it's like good ridiculous and bad ridiculous. And I'll give you an example. That flick he did at the end of the first half where he beat the man, ridiculous bit of skill, carried the ball really well. It was even a nice chop. He had looked up and he thought, I'm not going to hit a... I'm better chopping it back onto my right foot. And then as he got to the 18-yard box to have a shot, he just completely balls it up, which is bad, ridiculous. And that is him in a nutshell. But he does give us something. And I, was, and I had this thought, sort of, and this is why you shouldn't have thoughts when you're winning games 1-0. I was like, I'd like to see the crew record this season with Sambu in the side and Sambu out the side. because I, And obviously yesterday's results going to slightly distort that. But if we'd have held on yesterday... I suspect we'd have a better record with him in the side than we do with him out the side because of what it, it, it must be difficult to play against because he doesn't know what he's doing. So what chances has the defender got? 
Um, so I, I, I'm not against Sambu. I think he's got a cracking attitude as well. The amount of times he chases stuff down, he puts himself about. It doesn't. I think he gets the rough side of refs as well. There's plenty of times where he's, you know, trying to back himself in. Defenders are clambering all over him, and he gets nothing. Um, so I'm not mounting a case for him, but the sort of detractors against him, I think, I think they're being slightly harsh. You know, if he was as if he was doing things that we want him to do, he wouldn't be playing for this football club. I think we've got a, we've got a temper of expectations here. We're a League Two football club. There's a reason a lot of these players play for this side. So, yeah, I think that's one for the detractors to say he does a job for us. Obviously, we'd like more. And maybe if he got a goal, we might see more from him. So we could do with him just sort of one going in off his ass, and seeing if that changes, whether that's a bit more confidence will get him into areas. But as soon as he hits the 18-yard box, he seems to have giddy spells and not know what to do. If Alex isn't going to mount the uh, case for the defence uh, fully, I will. I, I know I'm in a minority here, but I, I really love him. Um, well, I take the, the point that he's infuriating and sometimes, as Alex says, a headless chicken. But um, I used to play left-back. He used to play centre-half and left-back, and I would have hated to play against him. Um, I think he causes defence's problems, and he's definitely not the finished article, as Alex said, but... Um, I get the impression at the start of the season, Alex Morris didn't really fancy him and he played him because he had to because Long was injured. But I think now, you know, he's played two 90 minutes there and he, he could easily have come off with the subs we brought on and he hasn't. Um, I get the feeling just on pure attitude alone, he's won Alex Morris over and I totally get that. I think he creates space for the other strikers. I like him, big fan. If and when Long comes back, does Sambo go straight to the bench, or do and does Long go straight in, or do we stick with Sambo because he's he's so he gets stuck in and he'll, like you say, he's a bit he'll terrorise the defence in a way. Unnecessary use of when if Chris Long comes back, I wouldn't be planning for it. He seems to have something wrong with him every week, so I think we cross that bridge when we come to it. We were talking about this yesterday, me and my brother, and we were saying one of the things we really like about Alex Morris is players that come back don't come straight back in. Um, so your case in point, Sambu didn't go straight back in after his suspension. Latlan Brook hasn't come straight back in after his injury. And Rio hasn't come straight back in. You know, uh, he might now, but, he, you know, he's had a couple of games on the bench. And even when we had to bring on a left back, he wasn't necessarily the first one on. Um, and I think what that does is it creates a value for the place. You know, you're saying to the people that aren't in the team, you've got to work to get in this team. And I really, really like that. So if, when Chris Long is fit, I'd have him on the bench and uh, I'd really make him earn his place back like the rest of him. Okay, that brings us full circle to the first point we made today about um, Callum Ainley being out um, and the fact that we don't really have that creative player um, to challenge him for his spot. So he was going to have that shirt. I've had a look... um, The last four results, the September results, and crew have scored... One goal, then one goal, then one goal, and then one goal. That's our four results in September. Alex, is that slightly worrying? Yes. Is it unexpected based on the two games I've seen? No. I think the way that we're set up, we're not set up to be this side that's going to outscore teams. Alex Morris has taken quite a savvy approach, if you want to term it that way. I think savvy is how I term it, being generous that he's actually realised, you know what, I've got two good centre-offs, I've got a dependable right-back, I've got a left-back that I can trust, and I've got Connor Thomas and Eli King that can protect the back four. I think we're better off keeping sides out 
and trying to nick one at the other end rather than trying to be this expansive footballing side that I don't think we're capable of being. And that's what Morris has done, whether he's right or wrong. Is it worrying? Yeah, because I actually think our patterns of play are worrying. I don't think there's any cohesiveness in our play. I don't think we're capable of, of progressing the football like a side who wants to be challenging at the right end of this league should. Now, that could come in time, um, and it, but it needs to come in time uh, because it is a worrying trend that we're not really scoring goals. And to be honest, some of the games, we've been lucky to get one. Um, we look, there's, there, there's something, there's no link between, there seems to be a lack of link between the defence and the midfield and there seems to be a lack of link between the midfield and the attack. Where there is a bit of a link seems to be from when the defenders are pinging crossfield balls to the attackers. Um, so I think it is something that needs to be looked at. I don't know, now I'm not a coach, so I don't know how you remedy it, um, but I think Eli King is someone that I think there's more to come from and I wonder whether he's the player that could sort of piece, you know, he could link defence to attack through King. If you can get a whackway in the middle, maybe you can do that as well. Thomas, I'm not convinced on. I think he's the one who offers that protection. He offers us that steal. He offers us that sort of calm-mindedness in midfield. I'd like to see a bit more of it when we take a lead and we're trying to see out a game. That's a story for another day. Um, but it is a worry and there's something that needs to be addressed. It, it's 10 games in now as well. We've you know, we've got three against Harrogate. We've got two on the first day of the season against Rochdale. Have we scored more than a goal? Not on Northampton as well. I mean, that's the 20th of, of, of August we played Northampton. Um, if my memory serves me right, you know, that'll be oh, nigh on six weeks since to, to next week. So you could go six weeks without scoring more than one goal in a game. And if he's going on this, we will keep him out. So if we score one, we'll win the game. That's fine. You can't then concede goals like we did yesterday and you can't make mistakes like that. You don't give yourself much wriggle room if you're going to play this way. And I'm not buying or selling on the approach. I think he's taken the approach that he inherited a mess of a squad. He inherited a squad in free fall. This is the best way to stem the flow, to stop the bleeding. Fine. But there has to come a, come a time when actually we've stopped the bleeding now. I've got to show more as a manager. It's quite ironic, and I'm only speaking from two games, so you know, guys who've seen more might be able to comment. Alex Morris is managing us more like a seasoned manager would rather than what's been described as a young up-and-coming manager, as I think Charles Grant alluded to on this podcast, and he's alluded to you know several times in interviews. He's not managing us like that. He's managing us as a seasoned pro. Now, that's fine for the moment, but considering how this club is built, which is playing progress, playing free-flowing football, well, inverted commas, but playing that attacking brand of football, developing academy prospects, selling them on, this isn't conducive to that club model. So for the period of time, it's fine, but there's got to come a shift in time where we do see that free-flowing football. And I'm not quite sure where it's coming from because if we don't have the personnel to do it, how do you go about doing it? I completely agree with you there, Alex. I, we were talking about this yesterday as well, saying... From Does your brother seen. want to come on the podcast, Tim? Sounds like he's he's great oh. for chatting. <laughs> yeah, you've done a lot of talking yesterday, Tim. The last this, I saw you, you were drinking, this, so that's the thing. This wasn't this wasn't to my brother. This conversation it was it was elsewhere. But um, we were saying he's he's so far Alex Morris has proven himself much more of a manager than a coach. And what I mean is in terms of the way he does his media interviews, what we see of you know in public his man management, and certainly as Alex is saying, you know the fact that he's 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 tried to stem the bleeding and he's tried to create a, a team that 
lives and dies by tight margin games rather than what we saw last season where we let one and we let four in. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we could have appointed Tony Poulis or Neil Warnock or someone and got a very similar approach. It's interesting. I'm not, I don't think that's the way he'll be for the whole of his career, but um, it's certainly an interesting start. And I'm not, and I'm not comparing him to um, the, the, the man I'm about to compare him to, but there are similarities to a certain Icelandic manager of Clare Alexandra in the two games I've seen in the style of football and in the amount of academy minutes, academy players that are getting minutes. Because who started yesterday? Ainley. I mean, you count Mella technically because in the academy, academy, but he's not your true academy in terms of get, uh, getting that player offered. I mean, technically there's two because you look at players that you could potentially sell on. That's what the academy players are. So technically there's three, but it's two in theory. Now, and I'm not saying he's good, John, just to be clear, but you can't get away from the similarities in the style of play, in the way he's trying to grind out results, and in the academy minutes he's given. And if it wasn't Alex Morris doing this, and it was another manager doing this, I wonder whether he... Would he be under pressure? Probably not, because it's been a relatively solid start. But I don't think it's a sustainable long-term managerial position he can hold. If you go down the route he's gone down, you've either got to get the results... Correct. ...or the performances. So if the performances go slightly south from where we are now, and the results don't improve, uh, and, and you're not developing players at the same time, then you're not ticking many boxes. It, it's, it's all on results, this. It has to, we have to get results. And I think the club are looking at it as if to say, I, I don't think he's going to be in any trouble for his position. I'm not questioning his position, just to be clear as well. I'm just raising some points that have sort of come to me as I've been watching the past two games. I don't think he's in any trouble unless we get into, dragged into a relegation scrap. And Mansfield are one of these sides that are tipped for promotion. Pony, Crawley are a side that are struggling even worse. We beat them. Like, I think we've got more than enough to have a comfortable season. So I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to challenge him. I think his hope is the likes of Tabernacle progress, the likes of Holicek progress, Charlie Finney ends up in that midfield role that he's played through three, the age groups. And that's where he can bridge that style gap. And I wonder whether he's saying, until they're ready, I've got to go this way to ensure we get results, which is fine. But again, there's got to come a tipping point where you have to break from this style. You have to get the academy players in because whether we like it or not, it's the foundation of the business model. You've got to do it unless he's going to play this way all season and he's going to guarantee us a promotion and he's going to say, you don't need to sell an academy player because I bought us an extra 750 grand a year because we're playing in a high league where we have 1,200 away fans six, seven times a season. We get more consolidation payments, et cetera, et cetera. But After last season, your priority is stem the tide, right? Mm. Stop the free-for-all, which he's done. And now I think you've got to start looking, Look, you know, as you say, we're probably going to be all right this season. So now I think you've got to start looking medium to long term. And as you say, that is developing players and finding an identity, a footballing identity, which is somewhere in between where we are now and the crew way. Mm, I mean, at the end of this month, end, sorry, not the end of this month, we play Carlisle 1st of October. The end of October, you're a third of the way through the season. You would have thought, and he'd have had six months with the players at that stage. You'd have thought his ideas would have beginning to make an impression on them. You can understand how he wants to set the side up. I'm not sure what we've seen in these six months is, is how we want to set the side up in the long term. And I'd actually argue the back end of last season, I mean, I went to the Lincoln game. We actually played quite well. We knocked it around. We had chances. We cut them open. 
and then we just conceded two silly late goals. We don't look like doing that at the moment. We don't look like creating those chances. We can't progress the ball through the midfield. Now, there's one key differentiator, I think, between the Wigan, uh, the side that played at Lincoln and the side that played yesterday. That's Tommy Lowry. He could get his foot on the ball and progress it. We've not replaced Lowry. We're never going to replace him, but we've got to find a way of getting someone in the middle of the park who can begin to put his foot on the ball and start to dictate proceedings. Could that be liking? I think it could be. I think there's more to get out of him. Um, but we need to do something about it because I'm not sure this is sustainable long-term, how we're, how we're currently functioning. Well, I think Morris has, has hung his hat to a certain degree on Ainley being the, the creative spark in the team, right? And that that isn't working. It hasn't worked. And it looks like we might be without Ainley now for, for a period of time. So it'd be really, really interesting to see where we go from here. Might get more functional. Might get more long ball. <laughs> It's, uh, it's an interesting point, Alex. I agree with both of you. Um, but I think um, the priority definitely was just stemming the, the, the floodgates, really, closing the floodgates, because the amount of goals we conceded last season, and I think there's undoubtedly we've done that this year. The defence is it's got to be up there, one of the best in the league. If we'd have hung on against Northampton, if we'd have we'd have got something out yesterday, and I think there was another game where we dropped points late on, would that have masked this? Um, would we have, because we'd have been sitting in the playoffs probably quite comfortably, would that have given the a bit more of a different atmosphere around the, the club. Um, I did see something on Twitter last night, which really surprised me. Someone was saying he's out of his depth and, and wants a change already, which I think after 10 games is is absolutely ridiculous. I think anyone would have snapped your hand off for, for the top half at this stage of the season. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting point on the amount of, or the lack of academy players. It's something I'd, I'd not seen and obviously needs addressing really. I think on the point of, you know, you've raised the, the, the points lost, the style of football we're playing, when you get a two-goal lead against Northampton, when you're one up against Stevenage, when you're one up late on against Mansfield, if you're playing this way, you've got to see those games out. It sort yeah, of blows the floor out of your argument if you're not then seeing those games out. The whole point is you are functional. You hold on to those 1-0 wins, the 2-0 leads. You grind out those games. The fact we didn't... Um, just shows that there's still that fallibility. And honestly, the last two weeks when we've gone one up late on, there's no structure. They don't know. They don't seem to have an idea of how to see it out. Now, last week, we got away with it because we were playing a poorer opposition. This week, we played against a better side and we got punished. It's as simple as that. We've got to do more to actually make sure we're not getting punished. And I'm conscious that we've been rabbling on for ages, Stuart, and you've been sat there very quietly, patiently. So it's like we're taking over. I just feel that we should probably talk about yesterday's goals at some point. That might be something people want to hear. Dave, you started off by telling us your favourite ever player for crew was Courtney Baker Richardson. So I'll let you do the honours uh, today. <laughs> I wouldn't say ever, but yeah, certainly this season. So it was a, it was a great ball through the middle. Um, I thought he was going to square it. Um, it was a cracking finish. Um, don't think there's anyone else in the squad or forward line that would would have made that finish. So yeah, delighted. Um He's just cool as cucumber, isn't he? Um, long may it continue. He's absolutely uh, the bright spark of the squad at the moment, isn't he, Tim? Well, for me, I don't know if you'd agree with that. He, he took it brilliantly well. Um, he's, um, yeah, he, he's, he's carrying the team at the moment. He's um, he's causing defenders a nightmare. He looks like he's going to score every time we create a chance for him, which, as Alex has already pointed out, isn't very often. Um and yeah, I can only agree with Dave that that finish was something else. The angle he actually um, he took it from, and with his left foot, superb. Um, you know, right in the bottom corner, 
if it had been another six inches to the side, it would have gone wide. Absolutely top class finish. He's a proper nine in the sense of, and, and actually, well, ironically, I say that Morris just tweaked the front three there because obviously Concrete Rod played that switch ball. Sambu did really well bringing it down, drew a man in, rolled it into Adji. Adji killed two defenders with a like little feint, rolled it into CDR, and then you know it was breakfast from there. You, you never really thought anything other than this was going in, and that's that's a, a credit to him. He does he's he's ice in front of goal, and if we could get some service to him. I mean, someone after he said, someone after the game said to me, if we get him service, he could get thirty goals in this league. And were you talking to Tim's brother as well, were you, Alex? No, someone else. I try and avoid Tim on match days. I see enough of him on this podcast. Um, we've um, we've moaned about the forwards not linking up very well, but that I think that's the best example of how the the three of them have linked up this season. I know Adji's set up a few goals now for Baker Richardson, but the way the three of them linked up for that goal was really, really good. And if we can get that out of them more, then we'll cause anyone in this division a handful. It's a good goal. Credit where it's true. The front three, it was, it was well worked between them. And it was the only real bit of quality that we showed in the final third yesterday and we scored a goal. If that was a good goal, uh, I would argue that Mansfield's equaliser was a bad goal to concede from Crew's perspective. It just, to me, watching on telly, it looked so easy, uh, Tim. I don't know if it felt that way for you in the ground. The thing that I took from it in the ground was that I thought it was handball. I thought it was really, really obvious. I thought the guy pushed it down with his, with his right arm. Um, I think if he controls it with his chest, it, it doesn't end up where it did end up. He, there's no way he'd have managed to knock it between the two centre halves of his chest. I thought it was it was absolutely blatant. Um, what doesn't look- tell you, it looks like his stomach. I will say that. I didn't think it was handball as well, just to echo that. And I always think the best barometer you get for handball, nine times out of ten, caveating that, players' reactions. Other players know when someone's handballed it. And there wasn't really that clamour from our players around the handball. No, immediately. But they did run to the officials after the goal, after it went in. I think one of them ran to the line and one of them ran to the the ref. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was... Look, be fair to him, he, he took it really well. But um, the way his touch went between the two centre-halves and put him through from from the fairly innocuous-looking ball, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you stop it before it, the ball gets to him and look where our defenders are, they're not really badly positioned. Um, so if it, if it was his chest, it was an absolutely superb touch um, and, and a great finish. So sometimes you can't really legislate too much for a bit of brilliance like that. But uh, I didn't yeah, really I didn't set up. I didn't think we set up too well. Obviously, Arthur had the, the ropey kick that went out. Um, I don't think we, we really ever got settled from that. It was almost like we were expecting to be further up the pitch. We never got back into a shape. And if you look at the position when he played the pass, you had Meller and Offord who were sort of five yards further up from where McDonald and I know Adebisi was at left back, but there were sort of we we play in the line's usually quite good and we're quite compact and they're sort of on the same page. It was the one time where we were sort of split as a defence. He sort of took the opportunity to go through and, uh, you know, handball or no handball, you know, the, the, the first touch is good uh, and the finish is, is an excellent finish as well. Because even when you look there, I was like, it's not, it's a bouncing ball. I don't know if he's left footed, but I didn't know if he was on his stronger foot and he just controlled it nicely into the bottom corner and gave the keeper no chance. Yeah, and then the second goal. But before we go into this, like we've all been watching the Alex for a few years now, a number of years. Um, do you think other clubs, the supporters of like lower league clubs, get to 87 minutes, 1-0 up, and have the same fear that Alex has already talked about? Um, of Well, the most obvious result here is we're going to lose 2-1 because it definitely feels that crew fans just sort of have this, I don't know, shell shock PTSD of... So just, many times it happens to us. I think that's what it is. Like over the years, like, and you could go sort of years back, like Chesterfield, 2000 and 
10. October 2010. 5-5. Five, five. There was the Morecambe game on Bad Friday. 3-2 three, three, up against 10 men with three minutes to go and lost. There's just And this, you know, that's over 10 years ago. Even going and, back further than that. I mean, I remember well, being 3-0 up at home to 10 men Scarborough and only just about scraping a three-all draw. You know, um, the year after we were 3-0 up against the same team and they got back to 3-2 with two goals in injury time and then we were clearing it off the line and it was panic stations. It's just, it's it's like it's in our our, uh, our genes. But yeah. by, So by definition, and this is, you know, controversial for a Crytes podcast, but by definition, we're not a great team because we're in the fourth league of the, the country. So, you know, by definition, that means we're not amazing. But do, I don't know, pit some games, do Northampton fans get to 87 minutes, one nil up and think, oh God, we're going to lose this. Do Grimsby, do Mansfield, I, I just don't know if this is a national thing or is it just Crew Alexandra? I think they fear an equaliser. I, I, I think that's that's what any football fans are. It's the jeopardy. It's why you almost go, that they'd fear that. But I don't think they'd be looking at that game in the 87th minute. When they got that equaliser, I was the thought that's going through your head is there's only one side that's winning this game now and they're not playing in red. Um, so I don't, I, I don't know. You'd have to go through their records and see if they've got one like us. Where you know chucking so many games away over the years, um, but yeah, it's I don't think it is normal though. You should be you know these are professional footballers. You've managed to keep a clean sheet for eighty-seven minutes. You'd think you could you could last another well as it turned out to be eleven more minutes included at the time. Um, but yeah, don't stupidly. Not. I didn't think they were going to get an equaliser. I mean, I should know better, right? But at one 0 I thought we would see it out. But then, yeah, same as you. As soon as they equalised, I was like, we're losing this. So one of the things I heard or read rather online was uh, people sort of pointing the finger at Rio. And I mean, he does give the ball away in the middle, but there's enough players back and there's enough time passes where, Alex, do you think that's fair that it's his fault or should we have more of a collective blame? Has he made a mistake? Yes. Has his mistake directly led to that goal? No. There was enough that happened from Rio Adebisi losing that ball and the ball ending up in the back of our net that shouldn't have happened. And Rio will get criticised for losing the ball in the middle of the, par- uh, middle, of, middle of the park. But I'll say this, the way we had all those players up the field, we wanted to ping the ball in the box. From where he received the ball, he couldn't do it. It was far too straight. So he's got to try and get it past the man to get an angle to be able to load the box. He's done that and he's got caught. I'm not going to criticise a player for making the right decision but not executing it correctly. And that's what he's done. And even when he lost the ball, actually, we got into a good shape relatively quickly from, from him making the mistake. So you've got to credit them for them. But then there was almost just this sort of, right, we'll let him cross the ball. We didn't get tight enough to the cross. And I, don't, I think uh, Concrete Rod got caught under... I'll stop calling him that. He's not my friend. Rod McDonald got caught under the ball. Um, and it was a, a credit where it was due. It was a brilliant header there wasn't much pace on the ball but he sort of arched his neck and really headed it back across the goalkeeper but there was no desire to stop the cross there was no desire to head the ball clear it was almost like well Rio's goal didn't uh, Rio's mistake didn't directly lead to a goal so I wonder whether there was an element that they thought they got away with it little did they know so Tim you want to talk about referees it's something I don't really enjoy but I feel like it is sneaking in more and more to this podcast each week possibly with us playing in a lower division this year it, it kind of comes, what summed it up for me was the scramble at the end, right? You know, the ball comes in, you know, flicked over the keeper. The guy does an astonishing overhead kick on the line to clear it. It comes back in and the defender sort of chips it or deflects it onto his own hand. 
Um, obviously, it's not necessarily on purpose when that happens. So it comes down to that grey area of, you know, is your hand in an unusual position? And his hand was like up in the air, out wide, in a very, very unusual position. So, I mean, to me, it's, it's a handball. But no surprise that the referee didn't see the handball for their first goal. They didn't see the one about five minutes before where a defender blocked a pass with two hands above his head, almost like he was um, doing a block in the net in volleyball. Um, it's, it's no surprise that the referee hasn't seen either of them or any of the other blatant fouls that Mansfield did. I think they should have had at least three or four bookings in the first half. But yeah, no surprise at all that the ref didn't see that one in the box at the end. Um, it, I thought he was an absolute clown. It was He was terrible. And and the annoying thing was, you know, Le Chabla's booking in the first half was a prime example of a ref just horrendously inconsistent because there was a load of cynical fouls, whatever, that weren't getting booked. I mean, Adji, when he got chopped on the edge of the box, that wasn't a booking. But Le Chabla, who's put his foot up, I don't even think he made contact. The player's gone down like he's been shot, has got a booking. And it's when you see decisions like that. And I was like, we're in trouble here. I was like, I don't mind refs getting things wrong. But can you get them consistently wrong? This fella was was guessing half the time. Um, it was it was who it was who appeals most. Yeah, and it was um, like Mansfield must have known that. And you know, the the ironic thing is, you know, Brian Clough wanted to play football the right way, all of that sort of stuff. And his son has completely just disregarded what his dad's told him over the years. And now, just got now, now look here, young Nigel. If God had wanted football to be played in the crowds, <laughs> he would have put grass up there, young man. Tim, we're trying to win a national vote, mate. <laughs> I don't think I don't think uh, Alistair McGowan's got anything to worry about anytime soon. Just on the ref, sorry. Um, he was he went through stages where he would he'd let the he'd let everything go, um, and and just let the game flow, and then all of a sudden he just was just literally stopping it for the the smallest foul that potentially wasn't a foul. Um, I think you said I sat with Alex, and he said um, the ref's going to make a dodgy decision in this game, and he was he was he was. I think it's more surprising these days when when there's a good ref at, at lower league level. Um, it's, it seems to be most weeks we we get a ref and he's he's easily a talking point. So yeah, something's got to change. It's been going on for years, hasn't it? I, I, I think it's going to get to a stage though where I think this is a standard refereeing we've got to accept, and it's mm. not to do with what's going up into the football league. It's the fact that so many referees are dropping out because of the abuse that they tolerate to go through to get to those levels that people just don't fancy it. So if you've yeah. got a smaller pool in the first instance, the cream isn't going to rise to the top. Whatever's left is going to rise to the top pretty much. So there needs to be something that's done fundamentally to make sure that there's progression through the refs, uh, progression for referees to get to the top and then making them want to do it. Because I can't imagine the incentive, the, the games they've got to do, the abuse they're going to get. You know, some of them are getting salted, for goodness sake, at lower levels. Mm-hmm. Alex, no one's turned, tuned into this podcast to hear you making sensible points about the state of national refereeing. They've, list, they've come to listen to the referee getting absolutely slated for his <laughs> absolutely abysmal performance yesterday. Apologies. So, there were three in the first half, two where Adji beat his man and got away, and one, I think, where it was a whack weight. And the guy knew he'd been beaten. He knew his man was away from him, so he just hacked him down. And if that's in the Premier League... It, they call it taking one for the team. It's 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 a yellow card straight away. Absolutely no questions asked. And I think even the Mansfield players were shocked that they didn't get a yellow card for those fouls. But because you're not given a yellow card for that, it just enables them to keep fouling. It wasn't a difficult game to ref, really. The decisions were quite black and white and he got them wrong. And that always worries me. You can get some of these spicy games, whatever. It didn't have the feel to it. It didn't need to be like that if you just set the tone early doors and clamp it out. The fact he didn't, he let it get niggly, he let it get agitated, and we ended up where we were. 
Okay, I think that will do us for the Mansfield game then. Next, we will have a little look at the Carlisle game coming up on Saturday. But first, following on from their massive win last week, we will hear from the women's team who are at their new home of the Alexandra Soccer Centre against Blackburn Community on Sunday. Okay, so uh, the Alex women have just concluded their match against Blackburn, which finished 5-6 in favour of Blackburn. We're here with Matt Fisher following the game, so we'll just start with how do you feel like the game went? Um, great game for the neutral, <laughs> but um, it's left us tearing our hair out, really. I felt like in, possession, in and out of possession in the first half, we were awful and gave ourselves a mountain to climb. But, you know... We had a little chat about what was going well and what wasn't going so well at half-time and I felt like we played some super football in the second half. Scored some great goals, but then we're just defending. was easily, collectively, the worst defensive performance in my time at the club and from a group of defenders that defend so well every, game, every, week, every, every week. So I don't know what went wrong today. Like We've not carried any injuries in terms of the defence. We've missed Beth Price in possession, but... Lots to digest, really. And I think um, that kind of shows with the concession of the six goals. It's not very often you can go on to win a game following that. So is it fair play from the attackers, really, to keep the game in the balance? Yeah, we don't like pointing fingers. You know, if we don't score, you don't win games, and you need to keep the opponents at, at bay. And like I say, we're not here to say it's your fault or, or their fault. But ultimately, if you if you score five goals and lose a game, something's not right at one end of the pitch. And it wasn't today. We've said some harsh truths in the dressing room and collectively we can't quite put a finger on it. Neither coaches nor players, but we have to start again in training. And it sounds quite... I've never, we've never had to say this before with our league finishes. We always finish so high, but we're getting dragged into something towards the bottom end of the table that we that we don't feel we should be part of. But Blackburn was super today. You know, their, their attackers did drag us about and create space and a um, couple of strong set-piece goals that I felt we should have defended better. But credit to them, they travelled down here. They've had a few curveballs thrown at them in terms of getting here a bit late with the traffic and that. And they, uh, they, they, were, they were hard, hard to control. And obviously something must have gone right. Five goals, any words on anyone in particular? Laura's goal was great. I think if you score that goal yourself straight from kickoff, literally the kick from kickoff that's gone over the keeper um, and end up on the losing team, that's that's disheartening because you want to go home and celebrate that. If I scored that myself and then to come away with no points, it's it's worthless. Um, Kirsty Stafford, who, who doesn't get many goals, has scored a great one. We felt it should have been handball with. We're asking, we're asking for handball. The girls palmed it away, but then Kirsty's been fastest to react and bent it around the keeper really well. Um, like you say, when you lose a player like Beth Price to injury, you start thinking about how you, your front, the front three are going to change the dynamics a little bit in terms of what you've got. Grice is great at getting in behind. Um, so with that injury to still score five was, was very pleasing. Yeah. And I think um, if we can take that sort of goal-scoring potential forward to next week, we should be looking for a better result. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think we'll definitely be working on defending this week. Uh, and back to basics job a little bit. Um, like I say, there was no one player that, that was at fault solely them. Uh, collectively, that back four. And the midfield was great as well. I felt like the midfield protected the defence. It wasn't like we were overloaded. It felt like it was really basic stuff that we didn't deal with the first ball. And then you start creating a problem for yourself. And 
centre backs aren't sweeping around to cover the to cover the space uh, for any potential flick-ons when when the player goes and challenges. Stuff that you know you really work on when you're a child. But yeah. Okay. Well, I'm sure we'll catch up again next week and hopefully after a better result. Cheers, Tom. Thank you. Right, Carlisle is coming up on Saturday. Uh, it's quite a popular away game for many people. Um, although now with the train strikes, I believe a lot of people are going to have to miss out. Dave, I believe you were going to go to this one and now maybe not going. Yeah, it's the one we penciled in a little while ago. Um, new ground for me, so I was quite looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, train strikes have, have curtailed that. Um, I think it will probably have a big impact on the gate. Um, there's usually cheap tickets, obviously, to get up to Carlisle. So um, yeah, disappointing, but... Um, Hopefully, it doesn't affect many more games throughout the season. Um, it looks like they're doing the strikes on the weekend, so hopefully it's it's not something that's going to go forward for the rest of the season. A few people online making the same point as yourself, that they were going and now they can't go or they, that you know it's too expensive to go or whatever. So I think, yeah, we probably will see quite a low, low crew turnout on the day. Now, Tim Carlisle played on Saturday away at Newport. They got a draw. They currently sit one point and one place behind us in 12th. A game we should be targeting to win? I wouldn't be confident, to be honest. I think it's a pretty tricky place to go to. I don't think we'll be seeing a repeat of uh, the 4-2 last time we went there when Nicky Hunt scored the goal and there were two dozen carrots in the away end. Um, I think it'll be another pretty tight margin game. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that, I think they're good. I think Paul Paul Simpson's a really, really top manager, um, especially for them. I think he got them a double promotion, didn't he, a few years back? And, um, yeah, their the form looks good. They don't seem to get beat very often. I think Christian Dennis up front's a real handful. I noticed they've got Corey Whelan, once of this Paris. Um, remember him, the right-back we had on loan from Liverpool? I think, was it Artel's first or second season? Played about 20 games over half a season for us on loan. I think he's playing for them at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I, to be honest, I'd take a draw. I seem, I seem to say this quite a lot at the moment, but, yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy with a point. Yeah, looking at their form, Tim, they've they've drawn pretty much four out of the last five. They've won one in the JPT, so I think it's nailed on for a for a draw. I'd take a point. To be fair, it's a tough place to go. I think I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a tweet from someone I know that's a Carlisle fan, and you can say you can you can this will sound familiar. Is where I'm going with this. Deserved a point, but didn't create anything meaningful. Relied on set pieces to create opportunities. Sloppy in possession from open play. We're a tough side to beat, but we're lacking that bit of spark quality to make us dangerous at the other end. Does that sound at all familiar? Which makes me think we could be in for a cracker next Saturday. I was going to say, so if I ask you predictions in a minute or two, I'm presuming it's going to be three nil-nils across the board. <laughs> um, Alex, we do have Concrete Rod and Big Kelvin going back up to their former ground, uh, former place of employment. Will they be keen to carry on their form to show them they were wrong to be released in the summer? You'd think so, and I'd like to take this moment, you know, concrete Rod, Rod McDonald, however everyone would term him. When we signed him, there was Twitter was a mess with a wash, sorry, I beg your pardon, with bargain bucket, oh, couldn't even get in the Carlisle side, this, that and the other. I've only seen him for two games. I think he's been superb. And actually, I think he's he, he's got more about him than I thought he did. I think he's got quite a nice left foot. And, you know, the pass for the goal where he switched it, I just think in, in general, he looks a lot more cultured as a centre-half than I thought he would. But he does do the ugly stuff as well. He gets his head on everything. I think he well uh, looks. Uh, he organises us well. He's going to have bad games. I don't think we can get away from that. If he wasn't going to have bad games, again, he wouldn't have been released from Carlisle. He wouldn't have been picked up by Crew Alexandra. But 
looks looks a very competent centre half and he complements Offord nicely. Um, hopefully he'll it'll be like all the former players that come and haunt crew that we the, the shoe can be on the other foot and he pops up from a set piece at the other end and gets another goal. Um, same with Mella. Mella looked a threat actually in the opposition uh, penalty box at set pieces. So long may that continue. I will stick with you, Alex, to ask you your prediction on the game. I feel like we already know it. One nil. Two be a goal. Let's be optimistic, crew. A late winner from uh, Lachlan Brook off the bench. Lovely. Dave? Uh, 1-1 one, one for me. Uh, I think we will score. Um, but yeah, I can see us getting a point. And Tim? Um, yeah, I won't be going again like Dave because of the train strikes. Um, support the reasons for him, but it's a bit of a shame. Unity. Uh, Tim, he no, asked for no. a prediction. Tim, he asked for a prediction. Yeah, didn't it's not a political story. podcast, this one. Yeah. Tim. Save that for your other ventures. Yeah. Nil, nil. Thank you, Tim. Okay, I spoke to the Brunton Bugle podcast to get their take on the season so far. Hi, Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stuart. Thank you for having me on. Not a problem. Now, this is your first time with us. So can you just give us a little brief uh, intro about the, the Brunton Bugle, please? Yeah, it, it basically, it's a Car United podcast and we've been running it for three years now. We, we had a different incarnation that ran for about six, seven years ago, but it, it only ran for a few episodes and it was it was basically it was quite a cumbersome thing to put together. We tried to record things on a match day and it, it didn't really work that well. Um, and then obviously when lockdowns all kicked in everything during COVID, we're all like, well, what's a good way to connect with Car United fans, you know, that we we haven't got at the moment. And, and as it was, three of us thought, well, let's put a podcast together and it's worked really well ever since, you know, we, we, we do a weekly episode. We, we basically preview the match day week game, but we also do like a, um, a review of the game that's happened before and a few things like that. We have for a few quiz questions in because myself and Dan, who, who hosts the pod, a, a proper Statos basically, so we we love uh, challenging our listeners a little bit there, and yes, we do that kind of thing. And occasionally we do little interviews as well, usually with former players. But um, I'm lucky in that I've got a, a good relationship with the media team at Carl United because I used to work with them. Um, so Andy at the club has been really good, and we actually interviewed Paul Simpson, the manager, before the start of the season, which was fantastic, and he was he was really good and really open as about you know ex- expectations for the coming campaign. But yeah, that that's basically it. We'd be on average, put an episode out a week, and sometimes if it's a midweek, we'll do a midweek one as well. Excellent. Um, Lee, I'm going to ask you two questions in one now then. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, what was the aim at the start of the season, and how is the season going so far in comparison to that aim? That's a good question. Um, what was the aim? Well, considering how hopeless we were for about 70 75% of last season, you'd think we'd come to this campaign thinking, you know, lower mid-table, mid-table, stay fairly safe. But having a manager like Paul Simpson in, someone who's been there, done that with us, and did such a brilliant job in those final 15, 20 games of last season, there always was a feeling of, well, we can do a little bit better. But at the same time, we have to be realistic with expectations. You know, we haven't got, you know, thousands of pounds a week to be thrown about on, on players. We're not like some of the bigger clubs in the division who can afford to do that we've got to be a bit more intelligent in what kind of player we sign. So uh, amongst the fans, when, when you look at magazines like 442, when Saturday comes and all their predictions, they all had us down in, in about 18th, 19th place, only one place better than we were last season. And I think our fans were a mixture of people who were sort of in agreement with that when those predictions came out, because we still hadn't got all our signings in at that point. 
But actually, I think once we got to the first game of the season, I think most fans were like, we, we could be a solid 12th place this season, mid-table. And it would all depend on injuries and that kind of thing, whether we had players fit, whether we could be higher up the league. That was the key question for us, whether we could keep the squad as fit as possible. Now, in terms of how it's turned out so far, considering we've probably had about an average of seven or eight players out injured since the start of the campaign, it's obviously some players have come back, some of them got injured. Um, three of those are long-term, of which one of them is a young lad who probably was never going to play anyway. But yeah, we've had quite a few players out injured. To be sitting in, I think it's 13th place as we talk, with a game in hand, if we win that game in hand, we go up into eighth place, I think a point outside the playoffs. With all those injuries we've got, actually, I think everyone's like, we're exceeding expectations probably at the moment. And the frustrating thing is, in only one of those games have we really been outplayed by someone, which was Stevenage. We were awful that day. Stevenage, I don't know if you've played them yet, but they're a good, solid, effective Steve Evans side. You know, they they get the ball back to front quite quickly and they they put you under pressure. We weren't good that day. That's the the one game where I think most of our fans would say, yeah, that was not a good performance. And yet in every other game, even the games, the game, all the games we've drawn, it's like, oh, we should have won that. Like Rochdale, we drew free free with them. And there's a bit of disappointing thing. We played badly there. We probably got lucky to get a point. But actually, when you look back at it, we had six or seven really good chances. And there's, on average, we've probably been missing a sitter a game. And when I say sitter, I mean like open goal sitter as well, which is really, really frustrating. But then there's a thing, like I said, there's a thing like, if we can start converting a couple of those sitters, we might absolutely batter someone one day. And there's also a feeling like, well, we've only lost one game. So take, take the positives, considering all the injuries, I think most fans are really happy so far. There's some are feeling like, oh, we, we should, like, I mean, yesterday against Newport, we should be beating Dross like Newport. Well, yeah, considering basically one of our, our, our captain pulled up in the warm-up again, that's another injury to add to the list. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a good result yesterday, actually, all things considered. So, so, yeah, in the end, I think most of our fans would say, yeah, okay, good solid start to this campaign. Something really to build on. Okay, let's move on to players then. Um, yes. Now, crew have got Courtney Baker Richardson. Carlisle, mm-hmm. it seems, have got a striker of their own doing exactly the same business uh, as he is for us. Christian yeah. Dennis, is he the star man? Is he the one we want to watch out for on Saturday? I mean, in terms of goals, yeah, obviously. It, it seems an obvious thing to say, but he's done incredibly well this season. We brought him in in January from St Mirren. Um, it, 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 He's not a Scottish player. He basically had gone up there. I think he'd been at Notts County and gone to there. And he's mostly played in sort of the Northwest round, sort of non-league circuit. In fact, the Cheshire circuit, really. So you probably know like Macclesfield and, and Stockport and clubs like that. He's been at most of his career. Um, And we brought him in and he wasn't fully fit. And that was pretty clear. He wasn't fully fit. He'd been injured for a bit at St. Mirren. Um, and he did fairly well. He scored two goals in something like 15 appearances. So not a great return, but he was a good, solid worked his backside off sort of striker. But he signed an 18-month deal. So I think once Simo got hold of him, because Simo wasn't the one who signed him, Simo came in after that. I think he recognised he could be a good player because actually Simo's son, Jake Simpson, is a um, he's a sports and conditioning coach. He's actually, I think he's at Stockport County now, actually. And he'd worked with him at Chesterfield. And, and I think Simo spoke to his son. He said, yeah, he's a goal scorer. He'll get goals, get him fit. So they worked really hard on his fitness over the summer. And you can see the difference. He's not he's not a quick player by any way, shape, or mean, but he he works really hard and he and he deceptively quick over a couple of yards, as in his brain's a lot quicker than a lot of you know defenders. He will get into spaces. I mean, the goal he scored against Wimbledon's a great example of that, 
cross come in, looping header to the far post. And he was just a little bit more alert than the defence and he taps it in from a yard out. He's de- his, his all-round game's pretty good as well, actually, to be fair. He's not just a goal scorer. He holds it up well and you know he links play quite well as well. But he's benefited from us having a, a, a midfield free that has performed so well this season. In Callum Guy, who's been here for quite a while now, he's been, when did we sign him? We signed him before COVID. So he's, I think he's our second longest serving player after John Mellish. Um, he'll sit there. He'll basically try and dictate play, win the ball back. Then you've got Owen Moxon. Now, Owen Moxon was in our academy till the age of 16, and then we let him go. And he went north of the board. He went to Queen of the South first for a bit, and then he spent three, four years at an Athletic. And last season, he was the, I think he came second or third in the Scottish League Two Player of the Season Award. And he was in their team, in the, the League Two team of the year. And we signed him back up on a two-year deal. And I think the feeling was he'd take a little bit of time to settle and get into the groove of playing professional football. He's coasted through it. He he looks like he's been playing at this level for years. And the one thing missing at the moment is a goal because he scored a few goals for Annan. And we haven't quite seen that yet from him. But he's um, he looks a, a real find, considering obviously we got him for free from Annan. And then in sort of attacking midfield number 10, you've got Jordan Gibson, who... He's a player who lost his way a little bit. He started out at Rangers, went to Bradford. I think there's big expectations there. He didn't really settle. Had a couple of loan spells. Went over to Ireland and played for St. Patrick's and Sligo Rovers, who we got him from. And he came in as a winger. And he did really well as a winger last season, actually. I think he scored six, seven goals. I think he was our second top scorer in the end. This season, he's playing more as a number 10. And he's really given him a bit of freedom. When he gets on the ball, he will try and dictate play. He will go past players. He's... I think the Newport County podcast, one of the ones I listened to last week, described him as the League Two De Bruyne, which is probably a bit of an exaggeration, but I sort of get their point in that he's started out as a winger, but he's more playing as a central player now, and he can get out wide and he can whip decent balls into the box, and he, I think he's got the highest expected assists in the division, and at the moment, he's not getting really... He's, I think he's had three assists so far, and he probably should be getting more than that, because... Players have been wasting chances. I think there's like I think at least two of those sitters we've missed have been chances he's put on a plate for players. So that midfield free is what's really dictating us at the moment. That's that's really what's taken us up to where we are. And being able to keep them fit for most of the season so far has been a real bonus for us. Because like I said, we've had injury issues elsewhere, but those three have made a difference. But even like into defence, we've got some good players there. Paul Huntington was pressing the offense captain for many years and we signed him. He's a local lad, so he's come back home basically sort of finishing his career with us effectively, but he's looked a really good signing and you won't be able to miss John Mellish in defence. He will run for days. I mean, we signed him from Gateshead. He was National League Young Player of the Year when we signed him in 2019 or, yeah, it was 2019 we signed him and he really struggled to settle on that first season and then Chris Beach moved him into midfield. His first season, full season midfield, he scored 17 goals from midfield, but then Second season, we struggled as a team all all round. He didn't really find it as easy. But then Paul Simpson comes in and goes, no, you're a defender. You're going back in defence. And he plays on the left of a back three now. And he will bring the ball out. And he'll, you'll probably see him as much in your area as you will in his own. Because he, he just gets up and down the pitch with the ball. A really, really good player he's proved to be in last year. So, yeah, we've got, some, we've got some good players all over the pitch. The problem we've got at the moment is we haven't really got options off the bench. We had to bring up, basically we gave a 17 year old lad his debut at the weekend. That's was a sub because that's how desperate we were in terms of attacking options because Mari Patrick unfortunately was injured. But hopefully, we're hoping Patrick will be fit for this weekend's game. Okay. Now, Lee, I asked you guys at the podcast over the summer for a little bit of um, yeah. or a few words on Rod McDonald. Oh. 
I didn't ask about Kelvin Mellor because obviously he's come from crew, you know, we know all about him, yeah. but I'm just going to sort of paraphrase what the response was. It has the nickname yeah. Concrete Rod, which by the way, I love and I use as much yeah. as I possibly can uh, for being solid and reliable. And that sums him up pretty well. He is prone to some stinkers and has the turning circle of an oil tank at times. It probably sums up the fact that he couldn't get into team much second half of the season. That's why he was let go. Now that's not exactly a ringing endorsement for someone signing a centre-back that, um, that was the perception of how he left. I think most crew fans would be surprised to hear that now because he started off really, really well for us. You know, he's one of our two first-choice mm-hmm. centre-backs. Um, was there a sense with Carlisle fans that they were sad to see him go or Kelvin Mellor or both of them sort of accepted by the fan base? I think both were quite accepted, to be honest. I think with Mellor, when Mellor first came in, there was a feeling like, oh, this is a good signing. You know, this, is, this is one that could really, you know... Because we'd lost George Tanner. We had George Tanner, who was in Man United Academy. We signed him and he was brilliant. Re- really good in his first season. Then literally m- one month into his second season, we sold him to Bristol City for 300 grand. So, you know, that's just the way it is at this level. You, you know, if you get a bid like that, sometimes you've got to accept it. So Mello, when he came in as replacement, all right, that's a really good, solid, experienced replacement there. Happy with that. And then, you know what? He never really had a poor game for his Mello. So I think with him, it was just a feeling of... <sighs> We we had other options potentially, and we we've signed Finn back this summer on loan from Nottingham Forest. And I don't I think if anyone said to you, "Are oh, you disappointed that Mello went?" Well, no, we've got Finn back now, and he looks a real find. He's son of Neil back, by the way, the rugby union World Cup winner from two thousand three. Um, Rod, when he first came in, there was a feeling like every all the opposition fans we spoke to said he's a good solid performer. He, you know. He, most weeks he'll be six, seven out of ten. He'll, he'll do a reliable job, but he will have his stinkers. And we did find out when he first started out, he, he did look. He looked really solid and reliable. He, he'll win pretty much everything in the air. He's a strong lad. But as I said, like if you get a play with a little bit of pace on the turn, he will absolutely get done because he just can't turn correctly enough. There was, there's quite a few games where you got a lot of stick for the fact that he wouldn't chase back balls when it was but over the top because he just didn't have the pace to cope with it. It might just be that he hasn't been exploited for you guys yet. But what I'd say is I'll, I'll try and dig out and I'll send it to you. But the, when Keith Miller took over as our manager after Chris Beach got sacked last season, we had three managers last season. Miller was in for about three or four months. In Keith's first game in charge away at Northampton, we got beat. Do we get beat 3 0 or 4 0? I think it was 3 0. And it was one of the worst performances I've seen from a defender in, in decades. And there was genuinely people who would have said, I, you know, I'd happily drive him back home tomorrow. He was that bad. He was he was appalling. And actually, he recovered really well from that. And he had a two or three month period under Millen where he was probably one of our better players. And we were not good under Keithman and we were a pretty terrible team. He was probably one of the few players who actually stood up and put in performances during that period. But that game against Northampton, he was like the amount of times the ball went past him and he and he just lightly jogs back. And I think that's what infuriated fans. He just doesn't have the pace, essentially. That's what it is. But but he's a good solid player. He's decent with the ball at his feet. Actually, he's not too bad. But I would not be amazed if this weekend, if Amari Patrick's fit, if we target him and, and Simo says we're gonna stick Amari on him and get Amari on the turn, because Amari has got pace to burn. I mean, he's godfather's limp for Christie. So that tells you what you need to know about Amari Patrick. And I think his, his dad was a Commonwealth gold medalist as well. So yeah, he, he's got pace to burn him as Amari. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. I don't, he's not going to get a bad reception. I don't think he wasn't hated or anything. I think there was just a feeling of like, he just, at times he wasn't that good, but actually, like I said, that period under Keith Millen, he was very solid. The problem was he, I think he picked up an injury 
early on under Simo and lost his place. And then after that, our back three was Dinel Simeus, now at Tranmere, um, Morgan Feeney, our captain now, and John Mellish on the left. And they performed really well. And they're all younger. They're all got high energy. They're, they're fairly quick. And I think that's the reason why Rodgers could not get back into the team at that point, because those three were just capable of playing the way Simeon wanted the team to play. Okay, Lee, I'm going to ask you one last question and then I'm going to let you yep. go. What will the score be on Saturday? It's a tough one. At home, we're very good. So I'm inclined to go for a win. We've still not lost yet this season. So I'm not... Oh, sorry, we, have lo- we haven't lost at home yet this season. So I'm not, not going to predict a defeat. It's hard to judge because you guys have been sort of middling so far. You've not, you haven't been terrible, but you haven't been great. So it's, it's a weird one to judge. And I look back at some of the games recently where we've played against lesser sides. We've actually struggled a little bit to impose ourselves at times. I'm going to go for a 2-1 win is what I'd go for for this game. Okay, Lee, thank you for your time. Cheers. So it is international week this week and crew did have a few players away. Probably one of the more key ones to the first 11 is Eli King, who is away with the Welsh youth setup. But um, as we're only borrowing him, he's not really one of ours. I'm going to sort of skip over him and move on to the other person who was away with the Welsh youth team. And that was Zach Williams. Tim, he was captain in the under 19s. So that was a pretty good endorsement for him where he is. And it's also a pretty good endorsement for what's going on at the Alex. Yeah, I think so. Look, I, I think Williams and, and and King, to a certain extent, they're, they're obviously first-team players, but they're probably not first names on our team sheet. And I think it probably does some good to experience a different environment, to play against top-level international players, albeit at a youth level. So, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. And um, hopefully he, uh, he comes back full of confidence and, and bouncing and, you know, hitting top form for us. The other players, um, Alex, Dave, I don't know uh, if you know too much about them. We haven't really seen either of them in uh, the first team just yet. Max Woodcock away with Scotland under 18s. Mateus Holicek away with the Slovakian under 17s. But then there's a third player who I haven't even heard the name of mentioned around the club. Uh, Callum Hardy just been brought up to the Welsh under 17 squad. So again, the, there's players there, isn't there, that he's going to you know, hopefully go on and do the business for the club sometime down the line. Um, yeah, it's not one I've heard of, Stu. Um, but yeah, I mean, it can only be a good thing for the club. The more players we're getting called up for for the international youth teams, the, the better. It'd be nice to start seeing some of them potentially um, sitting on the bench a little bit more and potentially coming on for a few minutes. Um, but yeah, it can only be a good thing. Um, takes us back to 20 years ago when we it was a regular thing. Now, I said on last week's podcast that you'll either hear all about it this week or you'll never hear me mention it again. And the results are in and we have been nominated for the Football Content Awards as one of the best eight Football League podcasts, um, which I still find simply staggering. The The fact that we're still in it, when you compare the size of the club, Kuralix, to the, lots of the other 72 clubs in the EFL, is simply down to every one of you who has voted for us. So I can't thank you enough. But... We are now in the final and looking at who we're against, there's ex-professional footballers, there's chairman of football clubs. It really is ridiculous, but I am going to go on record and say, I think we can win it. I do. I really do. And I get that feeling from people listening to this, the people that are really behind us going off the number of people who listen and then put out messages online saying that they've uh, voted for us. 
The other thing I will say, and I'm happy to be shouted down by anyone listening, is I really think that we deserve to win it as well. I think our body of work now speaks for itself. I'm really proud of what I, what we have done over the last few years. So if you haven't voted yet, then please do so uh, and help us and therefore by extension the Alex win something. If you have voted for us already, then do it again. Use a different device or vote on incognito mode. It still works. Please do. I'm, I'm very excited about the possibility of flying out to Manchester for an awards night out with producer Dave. Just, just to echo that, you know, Stu, I think on behalf of all the panellists, we think you do a cracking job and you're definitely worth the nomination. Hopefully you can go on and win the award. And somehow you've managed to do a plug there without meaning to sound, without, without sounding arrogant, which is a skill in itself. Because if that was me, I'd have been going on about the nominations, how I'm brilliant, how I'm this, how I'm that. You've not managed to do that. So that in itself deserves some more votes. So everyone, if you've got a day off and you've got a laptop, get your incognito mode out and spend your day voting for the Railway Men podcast. Yeah, I think what we all want to see is um, Stu walking up onto the stage to, uh, to receive the best football league league podcast award and then sort of saying i really didn't expect this and then pulling out a massive pre-printed uh, <laughs> uh speech uh, for three or four pages of typed a4 to, to thank all the contributors if i do make it to the awards i i do have a seven hour flight to get there so i feel like that's what i'll be spending a bit of my time on that flight over you know writing thanking everybody all of these things but yeah I, just just to be nominated in itself is as i just said just staggering for me personally just to just have that recognition of what we've done but I think I'm gonna stop going on about that now and we'll call it a day for another week um we are going to be back next week as I say looking at the Carlisle game but until then Alex Dave and Tim thank you for coming on thank you Thanks. thank you glad, glad to be Cheers. back Thanks for having me. no problem Dave welcome back uh if you want to come back I suppose yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, it's been good to be on. I've uh, been a long-term listener, so yeah, it's part of my Monday morning ritual now. So yeah, I bet. Thank you. Thank you as ever for listening. Please get voting, and until next time, goodbye. Blue moon.